welcome to Crossing Faiths, where a Christian and a Muslim speak religion and politics. Uh, this is this session. We don't have uh, Matthew Hawkins, um, where uh, he's on hiatus. Uh, I think he's on doing some schoolwork. Uh, and we have uh, my good friend and colleague, Manal Omar, from Across Red Lines um, uh, today to talk about something that it's a sexy issue, but it's controversial. So uh, we're going to talk about what's going on in France right now with uh, some of the, the, the protests, the riots, uh, and what, what it means to have a depiction of the prophet. Uh, peace be upon him and his family. And I'm going to say that universally throughout this podcast so that if I miss it once or twice, it's completely covered. Uh, so um, welcome, Manal. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time and coming uh, uh, on the program again. Uh, how, are you, how have you been? I've been good. And thank you, John. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy these discussions. So I'm doing great. I hope we can do a a lightning round. I mean, I I appreciate your advice and guidance. So here we have double Muslim, double gunning it uh, on an issue that is very controversial, uh, the depiction of the prophet uh, and depictions of prophets in general. Uh, My, you know, I I can start start right off with just framing the issue. Uh, College professor, draws a caricature, caricature of the prophet in France. Uh, some, the members of the Muslim population didn't like it. And uh, in, instead of productively addressing the issue, uh, they cut off his head. So, uh, and I just want to say right off the bat, um, it's, there's absolutely, I don't understand it at all. And being a Muslim, I don't get it. Uh, there's, nothing in the, there's nothing in the Quran that, say, that says that you need to murder somebody for depicting the prophet. Uh, I think you need to question yourself if you are cutting people's heads off. What what kind of where you fit on the Islamic spectrum? And you know, once you start hurting people, and you and I talk about this all the time, what does the Quran say about hurting people? Mm-hmm. If you're hurting somebody, what happens to you? As a, I I very very I'm very very clear about saying you start you start to cease to be Muslim. You start to be a lot less Muslim if you start killing people for, yeah. for particularly incidental reasons reasons. But what what's your take on that, Manon? Well, I mean, I think what you started with is really important. I mean, like there is no religious argument and and I would take it outside of just the realm of Islam. Like I can't think of any religious tradition that would sanction such a level of violence. And, you know, within the Islamic context, it's really clear, you know, to take one life is to, you know, attack all of humanity. You know, we have no compulsion in religion. Like you, you don't even need... Um, to talk to a scholar, like the the verses in the Quran are so clear on this. Um, but what I'd like to challenge us to do is to go beyond religion, because this is really an issue of how do you define national identity. And France is such an extreme in that definition that I think that we miss the root of conflict. And you know, again, militant it's secularism. It is. It's absolutely. I mean, it's militant secularism built into white supremacy. Right. I mean, like, you know, the national identity of French is very much a white, you know, you know, definition. And, you know, they want to ignore their colonial past and force every immigrant to ignore it as well. Well, let's be honest. I mean, there's a whole other side of the lens here. And that is that most countries have abandoned their colonial past or is trying to rectify it. France is not. Francophile countries exist all over the world. And um, one of the things that I always try to explain is their colonialism is real. And that's a big part of this, where if you go to Tunisia, let's just take not none of the other Francophile countries that are out there, just Tunisia. It's a front. You can only have French education. 
The, the, there's uh, essentially an embargo on products. It's only French products and there's very few of them. So if you go and shop for furniture, you'll get, uh, it'll be like three tables and there'll be like 3000 pounds of, or 3000 francs. Their currency is French. Their military training is French. Um, and like I said, their education system, even though you get a French education, it's worthless. Um, when you go into France, the populations that are from the colonial powers are still existing ghettos. So, and they have this, uh, I can't remember the name of the law, but they got this law that's um, supposed to protect against religious uh, minorities and allow them to integrate into government, but that's used against them. So, yeah. uh, you know, you, but you go to any Francophile country, embargo, military, uh, in, their military is embedded in, in their governmental systems, currency, everything is embedded in their systems still. And those Francophile countries are essentially colonial possessions. It's not even neo-colonialism. It's just straight on, full on colonialism. So, yeah. and, and I think like, even if you just stay within the French borders, right, you right. know, I mean, um, you, you know, there is such a strong um, attempt to ignore any immig- immigrant. And, and again, you know, you, you're probably tired because I, I think in, every time I'm on your show, I'll talk about the social contract. I mean, at the heart of this right. is the need to talk about how does France want to view the sacred? Because, you know, this isn't just about Islam. It's really an understanding of the balancing of the sacred. And that's important for humanity. It's important for the spiritual side of things overarchingly beyond the Islamic context. Um, how does, like I said, it want to address its um, colonial pain past and again French identity is rooted in white supremacy and and I urge us to look outside of religion like let's look at the controversy of blackface in France I mean you had this issue last year on campuses where African immigrants were saying this is almost globally agreed on as a very offensive part of historical theater and the French came back you know strongly defending it and the professor you know mocking his students to the point where you actually had to pull in you know um people who are uh you know, the academics in the race and ethnic world to be like, this is universally considered offensive. Um, And, you know, the retort was, you're not French enough, you know, and I think that if we're seeing it in the different contexts is just as much as drawing the profit. And if if this is what you want to defend, I mean, the French government's response is to replicate the cartoons and pass it out across high schools. So you're fighting fire with fire, you're escalating, rather than saying we actually have a trend, we're seeing how our African immigrants are deeply offended by what we call theater. (laughs) We're seeing our Muslim population deeply offended. And rather than initiating a dialogue, which the French would be the first to lecture America about, we're going to escalate and, you know, hide behind this concept of freedom of expression, not understanding that all freedoms need negotiations and they all have an intersection of where we really need to continuously challenging the conversation. So I feel like France is being very lazy about its protection rather than going into depth. And, you know, for me, you know, as an American, I feel like we have fallen into that trap. So it's sad to see France in the same trap as well. Yeah, I'm going to vacillate back and forth on both sides, as I always do. My my other side of it is, is that I just feel like the French are uniquely positioned to discuss the depiction of the prophet in a very thoughtful way, um, because they got the largest Muslim population in Europe. They got European Muslims that have, have part of that education system, you know, the uh, liberty, equality and fraternity and all that business. So they understand these concepts, their pop, the population, and they're uniquely positioned to have a dialogue about this. I mean, my 
my always thing is, I mean, I start hammering my Muslim brothers and sisters to go, well, you know, you're pretty silent on the depiction of Hazadisa and Musa and all of the icons and all of the idol worship that's happening throughout the world. And then when it comes to the prophet, everybody wants to start cutting off heads. Right? So, mm-hmm. so because it, the same rule applies to all prophets, it applies to everybody in Islam. So that, that's true. If you believe this is a religious argument, but you know, I don't right. believe well, it. Well, I'm, you know, I, I walked, I'm walking that line right now. I'm not interpreting religious text, but I'm pretty sure if you're cutting heads off because of the, a depiction thousand of the prophet, percent. Okay. Yeah. And I question your, I question how Muslim you really are. I'll just yeah. be honest. I, and I, I'm right there with you. And I, and again, I think it really needs to be said as explicitly as you're saying it. So I'm really glad that you're saying it that clearly. You know, um, and, but and, I, and, and like I said, this is not one of those things where you can say, well, tell me in the, no, if, if yeah. you've read the Quran, then there's no way, there's no possible way you would start cutting off people's heads for something so benign. And, yeah. and, and here's the thing is, it's a jihad of the jihad al-jung, right? So it's, it's the jihad of the tongue. You should be vocalizing and walking someone through what needs to be done. And that's, you know, very, that's, that, that's very Sunna-esque and Hadith-esque. So yeah, that but- gives you two elements, you know, to, to work with. There's a lot of tools in Islam to, to start dealing with such matters without jumping to some kind of jackassery of, of, of mobilizing people to be, you know, mob justice. Yeah. No, and I think, you know, I mean, so look, we've seen religion justify some horrible activity. You know, in my adopted homeland, slavery was justified through the lens of religion. Right. You know, we look at South African apartheid, like you were quoting scripture. You know, you look at Burma, you've got Buddhist monks quoting scripture. And, you know, for me, like for if Buddhism can be twisted towards violence, no religion is safe. And I think it's, again, it's almost a red herring when we go and start, you know, arguing these religious arguments because there's a lot more in the root of conflict and you can't find peace you can't build bridges until you're brave enough to go into the root um and for france you know i feel like i said just as dismissive as they are around the muslim grievances they've been dismissive dismissive around the black immigrants visa um immigrants grievances and that for me is an indication it can't be all of us there's something within the french national identity and i would call it the myth of the french identity because these people are as french as anyone else um that myth needs to be deconstructed that myth needs to be um discussed in a more open way and you know i'm just so disappointed to see the reaction to this is further escalation further taunting of your own citizens like you're not taunting foreign nationals you're not taunting neighboring countries yeah. these are your citizens um and even you know whenever time i've been in france like i'm consistently mocked for not drinking i can't remember a visit in France where it doesn't become an issue and, you know, well, you know, you're so open mind, you're so this, you're so, and it's like constantly a conversation. And it makes me sad to think of the people in France and how they may be mocked in a similar daily way. Um, You know, I remember the controversy over playing soccer. You know, I, my entire youth is defined by basketball. I would, you know, have been horrified if I was not allowed to play because I cover and, you know, those type of things, it's alienation. It's a, different level of trauma it introduces the trauma of separation it's what we call in the trauma world dignity violations Um, and dignity violations are registered in the brain exactly as if you're physically hit so there needs to be some ownership over this you know controversy and again it's not just within the muslim population i think it really does a disservice to france to limit it only to a religious or an islamic argument there's so much more at play well, I think we also have the, you know, Macron made the statement that uh, 
you know, that, to fight Islam, you know, Islamic extremism or, and the idea it's, it's, it's reminiscent of nine 11. Remember nine 11. It's like anybody who had a reasonable argument about or a reasonable proposal. Let's talk, let's, let's, you know, spring the Muslim pop and, and they would say, and you would just have to say nine and people would lean in 11, yeah. you know, and then <laughs> that was it. And everybody would jumping on the other side. So it's, it's like, who's come on. Everyone's fighting Islamic extremism. Like, I don't, this is what I want to say to the president. Everybody's fighting Islamic extremism. Yeah. Everybody's saying religious extremism. Everybody's saying far right extremism. We're all doing that already. So this, like, what by stating that you're, it's 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 a non-statement, but that because we're already acting, we all have counterterrorism, we all have all this stuff. We can pour more money into it, but this is more of a social issue. And 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 when we're talking about, there's a way to discuss things and be sensitive. And. You know, I deal with a lot of these religious freedom organizations, you know, Religious Freedom Institute and, and 21st Century Wilberforce and, some, and a lot of the global organizations. And the Catholics have a very well-established tradition of religious freedom. We're not going to get into the contradictions of that, but they do. And so there's mechanisms within the Catholic identity, which is associated with French, France, right, and the Catholic history about muddling into these issues and, and noodling them over in, in a thoughtful way. And when you talk about the largest population in France, it's like, why don't you use those mechanisms? What's the problem? It's, so you're talking about the, the, the idea to escalate. You make a statement about extremism. Then you're talking about distributing stuff, such things. It's like, look, we've already done it. South, yeah. like you, we, we had this conversation before. South Park depicts the prophet all the time as this like glowing light, you know? And so it's, it's which I always, when they have the, I don't know, it's the wonder team. I can't remember what it's called, but they got all the, and, uh, and so you know, that you can access that episode everywhere right now. Uh, and so I think that there needs to be some conversation about, okay, we have this sort of visceral and emo- very emotional response to yeah. the depiction of the prophet. My stance is, well, everyone, no one cares about all the other prophets in Islam Mm-mm. and they, everybody freaks out. So that's always been my stance with my mother's brothers and sisters. They're like, well, how come you don't freak out about the statues of, of, you know, Isa and all these other, what, what's the problem? So you, you seem to be able to look very accepting of that, but then all of a sudden you, you, you're, you're, it's an egregious issue when it comes to, to, to Muhammad. So but- why can't we figure out how to bridge that gap as Muslims? That's on us. And, and and then talk about what's going on. Like there's, there hasn't been a lot of of response from the Muslim leadership from the Ummah on this, uh, which is always a big thing. And then I always get hammered in the rooms that I'm in. Well, Muslims don't say anything. You know, here some yeah. some guy gets his head cut off, and everybody there's no response from the Muslim community. Yeah, but you know th- that that whole thing kills me. You know, because I again and I wanted I was, you to uh, comment about that. I, I wanted to poke the bear a little I was, bit because. When I was, you know, working with the Obama administration, like that was the line, like, where are the moderates? Where are the moderates? And I'm like, we're everywhere. Right. We just don't look like your stereotype. Right. Because they have a stereotype of what a Muslim would be. And so like, you know, and you've said this yourself, like you'll be called the unicorn or you're called, you know, we're over exceptionalized as the unique when we're actually the norm. So there's this stereotype of what a moderate Muslim should look right. like. There's a totally false understanding of who actually holds moral authority in the Muslim community. Right. And, you, you know, the people who tend to be propagated, it's usually done by the West. I mean, like, you know, we don't give the extremists, the platform that sometimes we, I find like Western governments and Western um, countries giving. So there's, there's a whole 
you know, stereotype that's being played to when it comes to Muslim engagement. Um, there's a whole industry that has been developed as a result, which is, you know, just by nature becomes um, false and artificial just because it's not an organic representation. Um, and so in that regards, you know, I really, like, I really resent when they say, well, we're, you know, where are the Muslims? The Muslim moderns aren't speaking. And, you know, where are the voices? You know, I, I think that's why one of the books I, um, you know, help publish with the U.S. Institute of Peace, edited by Robin Wright, is called "The Islamists Are Coming." Yeah, um, I, I worked there, with Robin Wright. She, she, she worked. You know, was a big part of us AIC, and we were part yeah. of that book for the interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, the re and we did the title so provocative to show here's where the Islamic voices actually are. You know, you don't have to guess. They're actually very vocal um, and they're not all extremists. But I want to go back to the example of blackface. Like if this, you know, it's not just that blackface is offensive. It's offensive to a targeted group who has suffered at the hands both of Europe and the US. And there's so many grievances and going back to the concept of dignity violations. So to further target a group that has been humiliated, that has been exploited, that has been marginalized in your national history, uh, you know, I, I think that that is just, again, a very weak response from government and not owning its national past. And, right. you know, France in particular, I think is very guilty. And like you said, there are still countries Present. across the continent that are still taxed by France because of colonialism. Yeah. And when you look at the brutality, I mean, you know, you look at the continent, the concept of cutting off heads was introduced by the French into Algeria. So like this history, this, you know, guillotine fashion of justice was actually spread through the continent by the French. And, you know, that refusal to own the own national history, I think will just create more and more disenfranchised, again, not only with the Muslim immigrants, but with the Black immigrants and other people who are actually helping build the future of France. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, they just so uniquely positioned to, 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 to address this issue in a thoughtful way. And it's like, they're blowing it. I don't, I don't think they, I think, I don't think they have the tools. I mean, you know, again, I think France is one of the most hostile spaces for the sacred, you know, I, I wouldn't even just say for Islam or religion, but for anything sacred, there's a real hostility towards the sacred. Um, and, you know, you can't, you can't really have a real dialogue until you have an appreciation. Um, and the sacred, you know, could be freedom of liberty. I mean, you know, that is sacred to national identity. So liberty, like, fraternity, egality. That was their, the I, battle cry of the French Revolution. When I took French yeah. Revolution with Jerry White. And, uh, you know, in my, my you know, that was the battle cry. And so I, you know, they, the, the idea is for that to ever be expanding. But we all know where that came out of. It came out of uh, the great, you know, the terror. So, you know, the idea, you know, never they just got rid of everybody from, mm -hmm. from before with all, with the guillotine. And so, um, there, there's, you know, it, there needed to be radical change for that to happen. And we all know that the French are very passionate people. So, so maybe you know, I'm not saying that that needs to happen. I'm saying that there's, there's a, they have the tools right now within the construct of their constitution, within the construct of the laws, within the construct of the, 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 the identity of the French people, which is wonderfully you know, thoughtful. Um, one of the campaigns... Yeah, I, I mean, one of the campaigns across Red Lines ran um, with Sisterhood of Salam Shalom um, was uh, Our Choice, Not Yours, about the Burkini ban. Um, and we actually traveled with a delegation to France. Um, and, you know, and it was actually a Holocaust survivor who called me and she said, don't ignore this. And I probably would have ignored it. And she said, I remember my first memory um, at six was not being able to s swim in Berlin. 
And she's like, that's my first memory of how this all started. Mm-hmm. So she's like, don't ignore this. And I think this is where I get frustrated. You know, I'm, I'm a really, you know, I always talk about my adopted homeland and how much I believe in integration in America. I'm, I'm proud of America, you know, you know, as a Palestinian, there were countries who would not accept my parents. You know, America is one of the few people who gave my parents citizenship. We would be paperless without it. Um, or, you know, half my family would be paperless without it. And so, you know, the idea of immigrants pushing a country to evolve should be appreciated. It shouldn't be something that's seen as negative. And I think that's where the missed opportunity for France is. And, you know, when we try to integrate, we're pushed back, you know, so integration is fully on the white mainstream definition of what it looks like. And, you know, if you're wearing a bikini, if you drink drink alcohol, you're not welcome into the mainstream. You're actually mocked and penalized. And I think that needs to be discussed is we're trying to integrate and you're not letting us. Yeah, there was when when there was the the ban on coverings and and stuff like that, we we worked with you very closely with USURF to have a special category made because it wasn't country particular concern. They couldn't do that, but they had a special category in between. And that was, that was way back in 2011, 2012 when we did that. And it was, it was worthwhile because it helped with the mechanisms of negotiation um, because it set a criteria. Uh, Okay. You're, you're not so you're not you're not a country of particular concern. You know you're not on the watch list, but there are areas of concern. And then there was this special category, which I can't remember at this point. Um, and and they they've they've eliminated that user, which yeah. is which is a shame. But it allowed for it not to escalate to a point where it has to. I, I worked with the genocide people, so there's the United Ten genocide, and there was Saved Darfur and all this other stuff. And you worked in Darfur as well. And I once asked, I said, well, what's the well, how do we know it's genocide? How do we know? And they had a criteria. And the criteria was, well, if 10,000 people or more die, then, then it's genocide. And I go, well, what happens if it's 3,000? And what happened? So Kemdesh, which is Nuristan now, right, which was known as Kafiristan, there's maybe uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Kalasha people, there's maybe 11,000 Kalasha people. Right, mm-hmm. left, 12,000 Kalasha people. And, and, and there's maybe a few people that only speak you know, Nuristani and that specific dialect. And the problem is, is like, if you have 3000 people drop dead, that's mm-hmm. half the population. Mm-hmm. So defining a threshold that's so high that by the time it gets there, the issue's over with, or it's so egregious that it has to be dealt with in a, in a way in which you bring to bear uh, uh, all the resources that need to happen when you could have alleviated this through dialogue um, and a conversation and a thoughtful process of, and I know you, this is your term from previous conversations, the reconciliation in some manner, shape, or form. It allows that, uh, it's like I'm doing, I'm speaking Manal. Right, so, uh, you don't I have do, to be so resentful. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Well, you don't know what, I, there was a win for Johnny P. I always say you got to go backwards to go forwards. And I think you use that recently. I do. So, I, you know, that was a win. That was one of those, you know. Um, definitely. You know, so, um, but I think, you know, it, 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 there's, there's got, the problem is, is that we all wait until something becomes egregious or they, the threshold is so high and people say, well, we're willing to accept it until it gets to this point where it escalates. And, uh, and, and it was like that with the, 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 the genocide designation. Right. I go, well, 10,000 is a terrible number because sometimes there's only 8,000 people. it's it's funny that you say that because you you know you hit a real sensitive nerve here and it's actually one of the reasons why i left um government in the international arena um was almost every conflict i saw and had to bear witness to was 100 percent preventable 
You know, we went and we flagged it. You know, I'm on the ground very early on in conflict and we would go in and we would flag it. I remember in particular, like Mosul and Anbar and like we were, we were, I mean, I mean, we were flagging the rise of ISIS before ISIS became a threat. Yes. Um, and so for me, like there, there's a whole um, real almost pain in the work that I've done over 25 years because everything that I witnessed was preventable. You know, I was in Khartoum with Darfur. I was in so many of these contexts. The Chad and, River Basin. The Chad we River would Basin. go. We knew, we knew ISIS was going there and, to, and to, to re-operationalize and no one was listening to us. And, and, and you know, and again, we Nobody. like my my whole point of leaving the, because at that point I was with Oxfam and then I joined the U.S. government because I very naively believed the decision makers need to know. I need to be at the table with the decision makers. And, you know, now after eight years in the administration, they know and they make whatever calculated decisions they need to make, which, you know, I do not envy any leader who has to make these decisions. Right. In many cases, but it's it, the least worst decision. We all, yeah. it, I mean, that's, that's, those are the waters I swim in. I, I'm like, you know, they, they have all these options and sometimes it's the least worst because if they made this one, but, and I get that. And I remember, you know, giving, um, I remember being, you know, tongue in cheek, which I'm sure is very hard for you to imagine um, at the end of the ISIS briefing. And this was like maybe 2006, 2007. And like, there were different terminologies for these extremist groups. But, you know, I ended by saying you can crush an ant today or you will fight an elephant tomorrow. And I feel like that consistent decision, like you're saying, to wait for the 10,000 mark. um, And this is what Across Red Lines focuses on is like, what can we do more in the world of prevention? Because the reality is, and it's not just government, even as citizens, there's so much we can do in the lens of prevention and not enough funding, not enough thought, not enough of our great minds are in the preventative place. Um, and, and again, that's just how the world of donors and money works. You have to have that emergency call fund with, right. you know, slaughtered um, numbers escalating to actually get work done. Um, but again, I think as citizens, we can do stuff in our immediate circle of influence that leads to prevention. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's a, I mean, that's part of why we're having this conversation. We're trying to figure out, someone's going to, someone's going to write, do a write, draft another cartoon. Yeah. And with some, I mean, they're printing a booklet and making it mandatory in high schools. I mean, for the love of God, like, what a great reaction! Let's just, just incite I, everyone. I just, <laughs> I just, uh, we're depicting something that can't be depicted, but we're using this depiction. Yeah. So, and, and this is it. You know, like that's yeah. the. You know, yeah. So I just think it's kind of it's it it you know it's you're right. It's such a, a French way of you know tipping the iceberg into the in the wrong direction. But I, I and I think that we've got. I mean, so what, what's what's our what's our what's our recommendations on this one? And I, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm I'm at this point. I'm like, I think on for Muslims for Muslims, what what do we do? Our our whole pl- pl- uh, platform is is looking internally, the intra faith. Uh, yeah. And so my one of the things we're going to start to do is is probably establish a, a, a dialogue on 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 how do we address issues like this? So yeah. you know, major offenses. How do we? How do we process them? And then how do we deal with the interfaith component from an, from an interfaith, uh, from our interfaith, interfaith um, uh, community, you know, from the Ummah? And so, um, and I, it's something that I've always struggled with because it's, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of people that will say on closed doors, well, you want to know what? You're right, John. That's everything's fine. Everything's okay. And, but, but, but publicly they got to say, well, you want to know what? They did depict the prophet and that's it. You know, like yeah. they knew what they yeah. were getting into. Yeah. And and I think 
And I think that's my answer. I mean, I, I tend to have very super cheesy answers, but I do believe in the prophetic tradition. And one of my favorite hadiths is, you know, you start from inside, like you start with yourself. And I think, you know, those thoughts, those conversations, like you need to be really honest with yourself about them because we all have them. I mean, I've, I've been asked very frighteningly um, by people like, you know, I can't even say it. Like I, I still in my head can't even give words to certain thoughts that I've been asked. But like you said, we do speak from both sides of our mouths and it, and it can be really shocking and disappointing. I think especially for the youth, because, you know, you know, I've been in the position where I know imams, I love that I keep trying to character, characterize myself as the youth, but like, you know, my point being is like, I've seen this. I'll in characterize you as the youth. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm way out there. At, at and I hear time. you say this, but I've, I've witnessed it myself where like there are these imams who are known for interest faith and they're out in the public and then in their own mosque or in their own families they exhibit behavior or action that is thing and and that's you know you know you watch action they they know empty words they smell authenticity now and so and because it's so lacking so i think really working with yourself and then your family then your community and then you go to the national level and on the national level, you know, I believe this is happening organically. I'd like to see more funding and more thought and design in it. We're in the process of negotiating social contracts. I love the eyebrow raise, but it's I, I true. knew the social contract was going to come. I, you know, you know, I, it's coming and it will always come because I think it is the absolute answer. And I mean, you know, the previous social contract is based on this horrible Leviathan theory. There's this big monster that's coming for us. And if you give up your civil liberties, we'll protect you. And we're all like, here, here's our civil liberties. Like, we're going to give up all this stuff and we're going to pay taxes. And, you know, a hundred years later, the state has not delivered. It hasn't delivered in the way that it promised. And yet we've given you know, so you much up. You, you sound so much, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it sounds like hippie socialism, you know, like, no, like, like, I, no. I don't know, you know, but, Again. <laughs> but I know it's not, I just say it. It's just, it's, it sounds like, it sounds like, I sound like I'm talking to mom and dad right now because you know, like, my father's very passionate about these social. Well, all I got to say is you need to be listening to mom and dad more. So if that's the case, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, you know, the unicorn I'm, I'm, uh, you know, and, and I'm starting to believe it now, you know, I'm the guy who threads the needle between all the sides. Uh, but, but I think I feel I, I agree with you. I think there needs to be. I think we need to take a step back and say, okay, look, what's what, there's acceptable. There's there's Islam is not black and white. Is 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 not gray. It's black and white. There's very very clear lines here on on how to on on the dignity of the human person hmm. and the sanctity of life. And I'm using you know Christian terms here. The, 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 like it's it, 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 there's no precedent for something like this, and so in simple terms, you you know, if jumping to an extreme of murdering someone because of something you disagree with is just an out, and which is the basic premise here, is insane. It's you know? insane, and it's simple not that, and it's criminal. Yeah, so, it's exactly. um, and I know that you're big on the criminal camp, so you like yeah. you know, so it's criminal. So. There's a responsibility on the governmental side to address s- such social and criminal acts in a thoughtful way. And France has completely failed in this area. Yeah. And, and the president is reinforcing nonsense. So, so, the, 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 so that's one side. And then with our community, the, the idea of making sure that there is uh, a, a single and thoughtful narrative and like I said, I don't speak for Islam. I never will claim that. I, I, these are, my opinions are my own, and this isn't somebody else. You know, but the but the thing is, is like is like th- there's this. I'm backed by 
not only the Quranic verse, but I'm also backed by a just a, a social and moral uh, norm that is part of living on the planet with other people. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that that's where we get into the social contract stuff that you start talking about. It gets me a little nervous. I, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know. Are we talking Marxism? So, so. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, I mean, first of all, the social contract can't get more in terms of Western ideology than anything else. My only thing is let's shift it from a place of fear and scarcity to right. one of abundance. That's, yeah. I mean, you know, again, like the social contract is a concept that is embedded in the creation of countries like France and across Europe and America it's the essence of democracy, right? Um, but yet it's still one that's based on fear and scarcity. And I, and I think we need to rise above that. And I, and that's where I get really excited about Generation Z and the millennials as they've begun that process of saying, we're not going to accept the story of limited resources and scarcity. And we're going to question distribution and we're going to question the old institutions. And that's exactly what needs to happen. Um, and I think that's why I keep trying to like throw myself back into the youth camp because that ideology yeah. is well, what I'm I'd like to I'm all about institutions, you know me. So I'm like, ah, no, but, but we'll have to figure that out. Well, we'll meet in the middle. I mean, look, here's the thing. For anybody who wants to know, you want to know what reason why Muslims have a problem with any kind of it's idea. It's 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 idol worship. The, any kind of depiction of of prophets in general, um, and any kind of pictorial uh, uh, um, depictions, it's because of, it's idol worship. That's what it's considered. So that's the issue. Okay, and and so once you start worshiping idols, it's 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 an internal thing. So when you talk about the outside, there's no precedent for murdering people for for idol worship. Uh, and if and depiction of your prophets is something that is is there's there's an issue there when it comes to to how in which someone is 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 going to execute somebody somebody of another faith um, somebody outside the, the ummah is going to be because they disagree with them on what they're doing um, and like I said we are in a world where there's idols all over the place from a Muslim perspective. We're surrounded by idols. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, chances are you're if you're in a Western country, you're walking past an idol um, and surrounded by them right now. I'm looking at a church steeple right now, and I'm 90% sure that's look. There's there's laden in there. If you ever walk drive past a, um, you know, and it's some of my. If you're in uh, New York City, which I just was, I went through a neighborhood and there was Marys all over the place. Mariam was yeah. surrounded by Mariams. You know? So I was like, okay. So I was, you know, I just drove past. So I think we just need to think about how we're going to actualize something that is very dear to us and something and, and in the same respect, be able to vocalize and interpret that for other people. And there, I don't know if there's any kind of thoughtful um, uh, in, in, you know, dialogues that go on about this. You know, USIP is really big on dialogues. I, I, I'm sitting here going, it might seem be seem too parochial for someplace like someplace like USIP, but yeah. how thoughtful would it be to discuss, you know, faith and and how faith is depicted and how that affects communities and how that make that that actually motivates communities towards violence. So yeah. that that is something that's really hot, um, at least right now in France, and is something that keeps reoccurring. Uh, and uh, but it's something that we don't do because it's not sexy and it's not something. Usually, it's these high points that crescendo and then subside right so um but uh but anyways this is kind of the the thought process that i'm thinking of and maybe it's the same thing maybe it is about a social contract i don't know maybe i am 
I mean, everything you just described is pretty much the process of the social contract. Yeah, so maybe I, I just like, need to I, find I'm, a I'm new word. Now. <laughs> I don't understand why you're giving the social contract to the Marxists. Like that's never been. I'm like, that's the end. It's, it's just, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I was talking to my father this morning and he's, and I mean, look, I mean, it's, social contract is the heart of religion. It's the heart of governance. It's, exactly. I mean, this is literally the interaction. It's the space in between relationships. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the, the essence. And, you know, if, and that's why the um, importance of negotiations comes in it. And, and it should be constantly negotiated. Um, but if you don't like the term, we can figure out a new term. That's no, all good. Term. I'm, just, I'm just giving you a hard time as I, as I always do, you know. That's Last okay. Time, I, I keep can't back. I always promise. You know, I, I, look, I'm not bringing up the P word, you know? Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> well, that's the, you know, that's, the, I, that's much appreciated. This is yeah, a controversial topic as it is. <laughs> so, but I appreciate you taking the time to discuss this because like I said, I don't think there's a lot, I don't think there is a lot of a conversation going on about it. Yeah. And I think that there's, I don't think there's a lot of religious figures that, that are able to provide clarity to the point where it's consistent within their community and outside the community. So it's, there's two different messages, right? So, um, and that, that, it, that hurts us as a community. Yeah. Um, I, my message is, let's talk about it. Uh, my message is, is that both sides are wrong. My message mm -hmm. is, is that, uh, you know, you can get into the issue without being inflammatory. It's like the guy that wanted to burn a bunch of Korans in Florida. Yeah. It's like, what, what do you, you know, obviously you want to make a name for yourself. I mean, it's just yeah. as simple as that. What, and then you, but you can go down the road of saying, well, why can't I? Well, anybody can do anything, but it, it, here's the thing. If you're talking about the dignity of the human person, which is my big thing, and it, then that means that you got, and it's not that it's not yours, but if we're talking about dignity of the person, then First and foremost, we got to agree that the, 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 this person has a right to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On a basic level. So, yeah. What's what you know? And you, you know, I always, I always, when I was there, I did dialogues with the the Taliban and did stuff back in 2012. I was like, there, there was, I, it was, I, I was brought to the State Department brought me to uh, Afghanistan when there was a stalemate between the PRTs, provincial councils, and uh, and USAID. They bring me in. And uh, I remember being in JBAD and they were talking about, they wanted this bridge. And, 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 I, and I go, well, we want the bridge and then we want the, you know, Kabul to give us money for the bridge and the governor's not doing this, blah, 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 blah. I said, well, here's the thing. Don't ask for the bridge. Ask for something really easy. Something very simple. Something that if they're going to be, if, if they don't grant it, they kind of look dumb and stupid for not granting it. You know, so like that would have been a really easy ask in this situation. It's like you depict the prophet. You want to know what? Let's, you know, how would you depict Jesus and this one and that one and but you know, you know how would you you know or or whatever easy ask that 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 you could that you could go along with that would de-escalate this because they're not responding to something that's here. You know? yeah. and yeah. that's that always I always said you know, and that was the thing. They started asking easy things. And when the when the gov provincial governor in Afghanistan started saying no, he kind of looked ridiculous. So then yeah. they were able to say, now we have a series of easy asks, not just the bridge. And this guy's not paying attention to us. And uh, and it's, and it's the same thing I think with this. We need to figure out a way to engage thoughtfully and without escalating into you know rioting and stuff like that. But I think a lot of this has to do with Corona. People are frustrated with Corona. You know, people are being <laughs> cooped up inside. We there's a colonial past that is is real and there's a colonial present that's real and then you have this idea of you're, you're really hurting people um yeah. when when you're trying to 
say that I can do something that we know somebody's going to disagree with, but you want to know what I'm doing it just because, and guess what? I'm going to do it in a really, really harsh and horrible way. Yeah. <laughs> like the you know, worst way I can think but about it's it. It's also, you know, there's the assumption that that dialogue hasn't, you know, attempted to happen. Like I, again, let's go back to what happened at Sorbonne university with the play and with blackface, like the yeah. students went to the student council. Yeah. The students tried to have a conversation with the professor and the university shut them down. The university called them anti-French. Yeah. Um, now, fortunately in France, there's a representative, represent, representative council of black associations. So they had an organization and they were able to go and the organization called for the boycott and took it to the news. So they had an outlet, but you know, the accusation consistently was you're anti-French, you're anti-French French national. And that was coming from Sorbonne University. I mean, if students, and academics can't have that dialogue, which is usually this heat, you know, especially in a country like France, the seat of these dialogues. Sure. And they were immediately shut down. Um, now, it, again, it doesn't justify violence in any way, but if you're not building into the structures, the place for grievances to be aired and heard, then there is almost this, and, you, and you're shutting down dialogue, then you're fostering a fertile ground for extremism yeah, and I think that doubt. that's where the ownership across the 360 like we all have to own this um, and again going back to the U.S. example like that was my constant you know um, and you've heard me say this in the last four years is this isn't my battle you know when ISIS when Al-Qaeda when these extremist groups stood up using my religion that I love dearly um, to promote violence, you know, I did see that as my moral responsibility to jump in. Yeah. But with white supremacy, you know, I was looking around the same people asking me, where are the moderates and being like, where's your voice now? Yeah. Are you going to own your crazy? Fair because yeah. that's what needs to happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that's, that's a fair point. I always do this with, you know, I, I talk with, I joke back and forth with Matthew about this because you know, white supremacy to him is a criminal act. Um, so, and, and there is, there, and, and they discount the Christian justifications for all this stuff. Cause I, you know, faith is my, my, my world. Right. And I go, well, but it's the same, it's the same thing. It's the same. You got the same guy. There's very, very little difference between a guy holding a Quran with a, with an ISIS flag behind him, you know, all covered up with his guns. And then a guy that's sitting there with a Bible in his hand and a pickup truck, you know, with, a, you know, whatever flag behind him. And I go, it's the same, same business. Yeah. Um, um, but, uh, I think we've, like, we're, we're touching upon this issue. And I think that, that, that there's, there's more, we're, this isn't the first time people have said it. And I think it's growing now. And I think it talks, speaks to our previous conversation about, about this, the, the Biden Harris presidency, there's an opportunity here to start building on a reconciliation element, uh, where we're talking about these issues and, and really identifying the core causes and what that identity looks like and where what's on the other side of that identity. It's all of us. It's all the moderates. You know, it's all the people. Um, and, uh, and really, how do we navigate those waters where we can address domestic terrorism, whether it's in France, whether it's in America or whatever, and what those motivations are? And I know that you're very keen on, and I am too, but more more so in tune with this is, you know, domestic terror doesn't mean an explosion or an attack. It means there can be an emotional uh, or psychological moment that that crescendos into something that does turn violent, or or uh, uh, will take a population and and marginalize them uh, to a point where it. it you know, it snowballs in trauma. Are you really proud of me at this moment? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, so. I feel like this is all, all our dialogues and conversations. This is yeah. a I, I mean, I half-heartedly <laughs> believe it because like I, it's on my, 
No, I believe it. I, I'm just giving yeah. you a hard time. But I, I mean, like, it, it's that's not my circus, not my monkeys. Yeah. My, you know, psych, psychological warfare certainly is, but not in the extreme implicitness that you're talking about. Um, yeah. Because there's the nuanced approach, and the, and that's a psychological thing. Um, so, uh, which and, and that's good enough for me. Like, I don't need you to believe in it. I just need you to think about it. Well, <laughs> and I that's it where I think we. I know it exists, and I go from psych psyops for psychological operations that. I know that it that there's that there's a way in which of doing it, but it's different when you're dealing with an enemy. It's another thing when you're different with your own citizenry, and that mm-hmm. that's and, and your neighbors. Yeah. Um, there's a very different, you know, if you share a fence with somebody and you're conducting psyops, you know, psychological operations on them and asymmetrical warfare. Like I said, it, it helps when you have a defined enemy in a foreign country that's doing something. It's yeah. another thing when you know counterterrorism or whatever you want to call. It. It's another thing when you're it's you're sharing fence line with somebody and you're conducting those operations and you you're very your narrative in your and what ARL does is very uh, astutely addresses these issues um, mm-hmm. and from a psychological emotional and and an intellectual component um, and so maybe it sounds like I'm selling but I don't own stock in you know, yeah. in ARL uh, you know so I wish I did but I don't um, so um, but the, you know so any stock doesn't go up if I sell it but that's a very I think thoughtful way of depicting you know what you, you said is a very thought way of depicting it and i'm saying it back to you in the way in which i received it you know yeah. so thank um, you no that that's much appreciated and i think a great summary <laughs> thank <so> you <laughs> and i mean the the other thing and we talked a little bit about this with elections too is like you know don't like i feel like don't underestimate the intergenerational um that's happening as well because like you know like the that's where i really also have concern is like we are separating within the households Um, And, and you know, going back to like, you know, my background from the Middle East, like that's really when it becomes very hard to have those conversations is when you see it around the dinner table, when you see it in the home. And and I saw that across the Arab Spring where like families could not have conversations because they they really fell on into different camps. And Mm -hmm. I saw that in America in the last four years, we were just talking about how Thanksgiving, which is around the corner, was like a trigger for a lot of people. And a lot of my friends who, you know, come from the Midwest or come from South Carolina were debating going back home. Like, do we go back home? Should we have, you know, friends giving because they didn't want to have that conversation? It was always the example of the crazy uncle. But like, I think across the board, there was a real intergenerational challenge in terms of we want to be respectful. We love our family, but they do not hold our ideals and we don't know how to face it and reconcile it. Yeah, I'll have to invite you to a to a family dinner or holiday at the house because you, you'll never see me more quiet. And I'm, I don't know. Oh, wow. I want to see that. I very <laughs> rarely talk because it's just, there's a lot of stuff slung at the table. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, and it's, yeah. So I, so I get it. it there's, you know, I, I'm, when I come back home, I'm just uh, my parents' son and my sister's little brother. So that's, yeah. that's, so I, I, and I'm sure it's like that when you go home. And so there, it, there's a, there's a, there, there, I think when I was younger, I used to be frustrated with that, but there's a lot of comfort now and knowing that I'm not the center of anything. Yeah. You know, so yeah. They still look at me as a little kid, which is great, you know, um, but I, th- I think you're right. There's the polarization um, between factions within families is, is, is real. I mean, in the air spring, I saw it as well. And, and with a lot of the issues I deal with when it comes to, when it comes to this, you know, you know, Muslims from ARL has a very thoughtful way of doing this with your retreats and so forth. You know, mm-hmm. Muslims for Muslims, the whole idea is to be a transitional, to be a, a transitional organization. The idea is that the elders and and 
you know, people like me provide the opportunity for the, 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 the younger generations to have access and then take over essentially, um, yeah. you know, um, I mean, that, that would, that's, that's, that's what the idea of the organization is. Uh, and, and one of the core purposes is to make sure that, that we're, that the, 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 all the generations are able to speak and feel that it's a safe space to have that dialogue, regardless of the issue. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, uh, and we, you know, we're going to, and we're, we'll, we'll probably tee up a, co- a couple of topics about some of what's happening in France as well. But, uh, you know, once again, and I'll, I appreciate you taking the time. It's very thoughtful of you. Um, thank you for having me. I always learn from you and enjoy these conversations. So thank you. Know, you. I, I, I'm just becoming a Manal, uh, you know, a Manal, uh, you know, voice piece now, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, I'm not even, you know, it's one of those deals where I, I'm saying the same terms now. Well, then I'm a very lucky woman because to have someone like you echo the message is exactly my goal. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for always making sure my voice is heard. I appreciate that. Do I, do you guys issue a card that has like, is it, does the red, the hammer and sickle, do I get that? Yeah. Okay. 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 Horrible. (laughs) <laughs> all right so um you're not socialist we're not i, I know it's like i feel like you need to go back to your civic engagement classes oh, Mr. Professor. I, I, you know i'm coming off the heels of the you're election getting all confused you're getting you know, it all confused I, it's, it's gonna come across that i'm concerned i'm not you know just i'm just a guy just joking around all right so yeah. I really, you know uh once again really do appreciate you coming on board and talk about these issues and discussing them in a very thoughtful manner uh, this has been Crossing Face. Uh, it's, a produ- it's a production of uh, Muslims for Muslims International, Roll, Pro- Roll Top Productions. We will have a, a, a number of, um, of links in, in this episode. And uh, once again, uh, we have a campaign that's called Let Love In. Let Love In is, uh, and we would love to have some Muslims and, and other faith groups, and particularly Frenchies, to get involved and, and, and do a couple Absolutely. of... Yeah, do a couple of videos on on maybe talking about some issues or maybe just uh what's the i'm gonna say the p word what's the palestinian dance what's it called the debka yeah yeah let's let's do why can't we have a little bit of that i think i you know we get a little bit of uh some of the social dances you know they're all the same it's all just stepping and jumping with small vests but yeah you know you know you know i always i always tell people like you know we dance like we pray you know in groups and shoulder to shoulder you know it's not about that individual waltz it is about the community coming in so there's there's a beauty in how we dance so i'm proud of our depka <laughs> well i think we should get some of that business on but like i said thank you so much for taking the time and i appreciate it thank you this has been crossing phase with matt hawkins and john Penna a podcast of Roll Top Productions. If you like what you hear and would like to help defray the cost of the show, consider sponsoring us on Patreon by visiting crossingphase.com. Crossing Phase is available on all your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Google Podcast, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. We'd appreciate your review of our program, especially in the iTunes store. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter, at mthawk, at jtpinna, or at crossingphase. Music for this episode is courtesy Vajra, whose music is available at thevajratemple.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Show notes for this episode and more are available at crossingfades.com.